Cortland Computer Services presents the Baseball Lifer Podcast. Well, hi there. Don Wardlow here, Baseball Lifer in Residence. Thanks for joining me this week on the program. I'm certainly thankful to everybody who's listened to the Baseball Lifer podcast since we began it in October of 2022. We've got a couple more for the year 2023. Then we've got a Christmas special, the last Friday before Christmas. And then we've got our number one podcast of the year, which will run the Friday before New Year's. It'll be an encore program of the number one podcast for the year. There's a way you can tell me what you think should be the number one podcast for the year. You can reach me on Facebook. The name is Don Wardlow. And you can email me at don at thebaseballlifer.com. I'll give you some choices. We had an interview with the Reds broadcaster, John Sadak. We had an interview with Mike Caps, the AAA broadcaster for the Rangers. And we had our Hall of Fame podcast, which I did after I came back from Cooperstown. So John Sadak, Mike Caps, or the Hall of Fame broadcast. Those are your choices. One of those is going to get broadcast the last Friday before New Year's, and that'll be our number one broadcast for the year from this series of the Baseball Lifer podcast. Now, today, after I talk to you just a little about a couple of pitchers who've called up the moving vans and are going to change their addresses, after we do that, we're going to have Bob Brill on the program. Bob has written a couple of baseball books along with many other books. One of his baseball books is called Tales of My Baseball Youth. We'll talk about that. His other is called Beating the Slump. And boy, there were a lot of hitters in 2023 who would have liked to know how to beat the slump. And we'll also talk about a couple of audible productions that Bob Brill has been a part of. One has to do with baseball. One doesn't, but I just couldn't resist because it's about old-time radio, which is another passion of mine. So Bob Brill will be my guest. Before that, talk to you about a couple of pitchers who are going to be pitching for different ball clubs this year, 2024. The baseball meetings haven't started yet. They're going to start on Sunday in Music City, USA, Nashville, Tennessee. But a couple of deals have already gone down. Sonny Gray, who has been an all-star, for three different teams, he's been an all-star for Oakland, for the Reds, and for the Twins. The one team he was not an all-star for was the Yankees. And the Yankees had him in 2017 and 2018, and he, he didn't do too well. He was one of many who have pitched well in other cities, but can't get it done when they come to New York. The Mets have had their share of those also. So from the Twins, where Sonny pitched in 2023, he's off to St. Louis. He'll pitch for the St. Louis Cardinals 
for the next three years and possibly 2027. He has a three-year deal with a team option for 2027. The other moving pitcher is Luis Severino. He's just moving across town. After eight years pitching for the Yankees, Luis Severino will join the Mets. We'll see how he does in Flushing. When we come back, we'll have our guest, Bob Brill. We'll talk about his book, Tales of My Baseball Youth, and his other book, Beating the Slump. If you keep it right where it is, this is the Baseball Lifer Podcast. I am having such a problem at work. This is the second time this month I have had two computers down, and I can't get my computer company to come to the office and fix them. I think they are too busy with other bigger companies. You know, I was having the same problem until we met Cortland Computer Services in Middlesex, New Jersey. They respond to most of my calls the same day, either by accessing my computers remotely or by sending a technician to my office. Wow, that would be great. It is such a disruption when the computers are not working properly. I need somebody that can come out, see what's wrong, and fix it. On our first meeting, they surveyed our network for security, identified some problem areas, and set us up with security software designed to prevent malware, ransomware, and all of the other threats that are on the internet these days. They have been helping central New Jersey businesses for 30 years, and they have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. You should contact them either on the web at CortlandComputerServices.com or by phone at 732-356-8860. 732-356-8860. CortlandComputerServices.com. Tell them you heard about it on the Baseball Lifer podcast and get a $100 coupon toward your first two hours of computer services. Back with you on the Baseball Lifer podcast. Don Wardlow here and author Bob Brill is my guest. And Bob, welcome to the program. Well, thank you, Don. I'm really looking forward to this. Anytime I get a chance to talk baseball with a baseball fanatic, uh, I'm I'm happy. Oh, yeah. And from, from what I'm told, you were a baseball fan going way, way back. Oh, yeah. Matter of fact, I was thinking this morning, I was lying in bed just kind of contemplating getting up. And I was thinking back, when did I play my first? And I thought, yeah, was it eight or nine? And I figured out it was eight years old. Where you grew up was the gunner, the first broadcaster that you heard? Yes, yes. Bob Prince was uh, actually my first listen uh, and uh, growing up in Pittsburgh. And then <laughs> I remember in 1968, we, we were in uh, living in L.A. at that time. And uh, we took a trip back. Uh, my parents went and I went back to Pittsburgh and I said, okay, I get to uh, listen to, you know, a pirate game uh, <laughs> against somebody other than the Dodgers. And they were playing the Dodgers. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so at least I got to hear Bob Prince's version instead of Vin Scully's version. Mm -hmm. And so I, I got, to me, I got to listen to growing up to the two best, as far as I was concerned. I know a lot of people like Harry Carey and, and Mel Allen, but, uh, to me, the gunner was just incredible. I just love listening to him. You know, growing up in Jersey, I could hear Bob Murphy, my idol. I could hear Bill White and Phil Rizzuto with the Yankees. Yeah. Bill White should be in the Hall of Fame, but he's not. Right. I could hear Harry Callis from Philadelphia, who I later got to know. 
But every now and then on a good clear night, I could hear Bob Prince. I would later find out he was called the gunner. And yep. believe me, Bob Murphy and Bill White are one thing, but Bob Prince was quite something else again. <laughs> yeah, he was. They he won't allow an announcer to be uh, like him anymore. Well, one, one of the stories I remember about him was they were in a hotel and he was on the second story, I guess, and somebody dared him to jump off the balcony into the swimming pool and he did it. <laughs> and lived to tell the tale. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, and I still, to this day, every now and then, if I get a chance, if there's some kind of a near miss, I'll say, well, that was just missed by a Nat's eyelash. <laughs> I'm sure I get some funny looks, but, you know, that's, that's Bob Prince. That's who he was. My dad used to tell me about uh, before Prince, of course, it was Rosie Rosewell. And uh, uh, he, I never got to hear Rosewell, but uh, I hear the stories of, you know, uh, Kiner was it would hit a home run to left field and was open the window and uh, Aunt Minnie, and today, yeah. here, here it comes and you hear glass breaking, you know, a sound <laughs> effect and and things like that. So what I wouldn't yeah, give for any of those games to exist. Yeah. The only the only Rosie Rosewell that is known to exist goes clear back to nine thirty to nineteen thirty eight, and he's the narrator of one of the World Series games. He doesn't do the play-by-play or the color. He just does the opening and the closing, but that's the only known existence of recorded uh, Albert Rosie Rosewell. You know, my problem with radio, even though it's still the best thing where blind people are concerned, everybody sounds like everybody else. Well, you know, we come up out of that old school, and uh, I was sort of a mold breaker for my era, because um, I know in broadcasting school, they wanted everybody to sound like uh, Walter Cronkite or um, uh, uh, Saint Robert St. John or, or Edward Amaro with these huge, deep voices, and I didn't have that, uh, and I still don't. Um, I mean, I... I like to think my voice is pleasant. That's what people tell me. Uh, but I, I never had that super deep voice. And it cost me not getting a few jobs early on uh, because I didn't have that deep voice. But then, you know, through time and experience and persistence, uh, you make your mark. And uh, that kind of went away. And a lot of it had to do with, uh, I know I worked in one radio station in Fresno where the appeal was to young girls. Uh, it was a rock station. And uh, the program director only wanted young voices. And I was the news guy working two radio stations, the AM and the FM. And uh, so I was okay in the morning, but all the voices of the jocks had to be young sounding. And um, so that's uh, uh, where, where that happened. And it was, it was a good thing because the numbers were incredible. Uh, but, you know, it was kind of nice to not have to hear the deep, deep voice of, you know, um, um, some of the old, some of the very old guys, and you know, so it opened the door for a lot of us on the baseball lifer podcast on Wardlow here with Bob Brill. One of your many books, this one goes back to 2016, and it's called Tales of My Baseball Youth. W would you talk to me some about that book? Oh, sure. Tales of My Baseball Youth, a child of the 60s, is basically my memoir. And it only goes up to about 18 years old. 
And uh, basically, the uh, what I did with that is I, it's a relationship book. It's about relationships with fathers, coaches, teachers, parents, whatever, uh, girls, boys, friends. Uh, but it's all set, every story centers around baseball, uh, whether it was um, the first time I got to play in an organized league or when my best friend uh, who was pitching for another team, we only faced each other once and he went to wind up. Uh, I came to bat and he looked down at me and he just started cracking up and laughing because we never faced each other. And we were, we were next door neighbors. We were best friends, still are. And uh, we don't see each other very often, but we're still best friends. And um, he he just started cracking up and I, everybody in both teams who knew us, we're, we're just laughing and he turned around and he tried to throw a strike and he hit me. <laughs> he hit me with a pitch. Wow. And I was like, Oh my gosh. And so I went to first and, um, but you know, there were, it's, it's that type of book and talks about how we played games that we made up games. We played Kirby's, which, you know, was you threw a ball, two guys played against each other and you, the batter was throwing a ball against the curb and the ball would go toward the fielder and if it went over his head. It was a home run or if it got by him, it was a single. And, you know, we, um, Sputsy on the wires, uh, another game we played in Pittsburgh, we'd look at the telephone wires up above and one guy would stand on one side, one guy would stand on the other and you'd throw the ball up to hit the, hit the wires and each wire was designated something else. The low wires were designated singles, second wire, double, third, a triple. And then if you hit the top wire, that was a home run. And if you hit that wire, the ball usually came straight down. But the other guy, if he caught it before it hit the ground, it was an out. And uh, so kids don't play those games anymore. And that, that was what we had growing up. Uh, then went into Stratomatic, and I was a major Stratomatic fanatic. And not APA, but Stratomatic, because APA and Stratomatic guys don't mix. Um but it was all that and those relationships with parents and grandparents and and uh, friends and like I said, girls and and coaches and neighborhood people all centered around baseball. And as you grew older, who did you root for? What teams did you get to follow as you traveled around, presumably? Oh, the only one that I will ever root for, the one I rooted for when I was came out of the womb, I think. <laughs> That's the Pirates, the Steelers, and the Penguins. Of course, the Penguins came along later. But I'm a diehard Pittsburgh fan, born and partially raised there. I've, you know, I've run into people who I knew in elementary school and would meet on Facebook or something and and say Bob Brill, Bob Brill from Pittsburgh, you know, and I haven't lived in Pittsburgh since oh golly, I was 10 years old. And I've been back a few times, but you know, uh, that was my family home, and that was where my family came to this country in 1896 when my grandfather, my grandparents first arrived from Italy. And um, uh, so the Pirates and the Penguins, uh, it would stick with baseball, the Pirates, always my favorite. My very first favorite player, um, when I knew very little about baseball, was Bill Verdon. That lasted one, one season when I realized I couldn't play the outfield, but they realized I was a pretty good infielder. And Bill Mazeroski became my hero, and still is. And I've interviewed him more than once. And uh, I'm looking at a an article I wrote for Beckett Publications on my wall that I uh, sent about Maz, and uh, I sent him a copy. I sent him two copies, one for him. 
and he signed the other one and signed it to me and uh, sent it back to me. And I've got it framed here in my office. And it's one of the few things I will keep forever, you know, and uh, just, he's a great guy. And I, you know, just a wonderful human being. And um, I have the biggest Masrowski collection in the world of baseball cards and memorabilia and items. Uh, I don't think anybody comes close. So, uh, but, you know, that, that, I, I, I could never root against the Pirates ever. And there's another book you've written, Bob Brill, my guest on the Baseball Lifer podcast. And that's a book called Beating the Slump. I think that came out a few years after Tales of My Baseball Youth. So talk to me about Beating the Slump. Beating the Slump is uh, it's more of a pamphlet than a book. It's only about uh, 35, 40 pages. And it was um, something I've always wanted to put to offer to the public and finally decided, heck, I'm just going to do it. Uh, I tried to, years and years ago, uh, write a full book and publish it. But every, every publisher I talked to said I needed an athlete. And I was unable to get any agent to give me one of their athletes to try this. And I'll tell you about it. Uh, basically, beating the slump. Um, when I was, I, inj I injured my ankle um, playing Oh, semi-pro years ago, probably uh, 1971 and um, 1970. Yeah. And uh, a friend of mine, I was working out with a friend of mine from high school and we uh, got together and he told me about this theory that was taught by uh, the Kansas City Royals Baseball Academy. And that was a hit a theory on hitting that to get yourself out of a slump, turn around and take batting practice the opposite way. So if you're right-handed, you're in a slump. Maybe you're hitting the ball hard or whatever. And it works for golf, too. Um, turn around, take batting practice left-handed. Just try to meet the ball. Don't try to kill it. Don't try to hit home runs. Don't try to be a switch hitter. Just meet the ball maybe 20 times, and then go back to hitting right-handed, and you'll be fine. You, the slump will be over. And I said, okay, it sounds kind of strange. Uh, then I tried it, and it it worked. It worked like a gem. And then I did it in golf and it was incredible. And so then I ran into and a man who became a friend of mine and it was Sid Thrift. And he was uh, the general manager of the Pirates. But we uh, we became friends. I, I did an interview with him uh, on his book, The World uh, the World According to Sid. And uh, when I was at UPI, he came into our studio and I did the interview. And I mentioned this to him. And... Um, then we had a conversation uh, at the 89 All-Star Game. I was covering it for UPI, and he came up to me. He says, Bob, how you doing? And we started talking, and we sat together for the game. And uh, I asked him about this. He goes, oh, yeah, we taught that at the academy. And I said, really? That's true? And he goes, yes. And he, uh, I said, well, is it a left brain, right brain sort of thing? He says, no, no, it's just, it's about focus. And I asked him, I said, look, I believe that hitting, hitting a baseball, hitting a round baseball with a round bat is 90% focus and 10% bat speed. And he, he laughed, he concurred. He said, yeah, that's pretty much it. And the deal with the whole thing with beating the slump is that story that um, basically what you're doing is you're refocusing. And once you refocus, 
And that's why when you uh, take batting practice or, or golf swings the opposite way, you don't try to kill the ball. You just try to meet the ball. Try to think of it this way that you just don't want to look like you're embarrassed. You don't want to embarrass yourself. Don't want to embarrass yourself. That's the key. So you're just hitting the ball solid. And you don't have to do it forever. And you're not, you don't, definitely don't want to become a switch hitter. I do carry a, uh, a left-handed golf uh, ball uh, club in my golf bag just for, for grins for those times when it may come in handy. And um, so it works. And you just, the con it, ref help, it helps you refocus your mind and your eyes and everything about what you're doing. And I'm 100% sure that if I could get to major league batters who are in a slump and have them do this just once, that slump would be over. Same thing with golfers. And when I went to publishers, they said they would publish the book if I got an athlete that could vouch for it. So I contacted a few agents and they said, are you kidding me? No, we're not going to let you use one of our athletes. What if they get hurt? What if you screw them up? They're too valuable. They make too much money. And I couldn't get there. So I ended up years later, I said, screw it. I'm going to write the book myself. I'll make it a pamphlet style book and we'll put it out there. And uh, it's out there. Was Charlie Lau the original guru of this kind of thinking? No, I don't. I, I don't know. I know he he had a different uh, uh, thing with the Charlie Lau swing where you only hit the ball one handed. You know, your right hand or if you're right handed, left hand, if you're left handed, came off the bat in the follow through. Uh, I did a little research on Charlie Lau's uh, techniques way back when. And I'll be honest with you, I don't remember uh, anything about that particular thing in uh, the refocusing lefty righty in his particular uh, dialogue. It seems to me for two reasons, there would be difficulties where millennial players are concerned. One is everybody's focusing on launch angle yep. and such things. And the other thing they're focusing on is analytics. I don't think anybody yeah. is, as interested as they should be with the mechanics of what would it take to break a slump? Exactly. No, I'm, I'm with you there. I mean, you know, I was one of the early, early supporters when I was just a teenager of using computers to help. And now I despise it. I mean, I think, um, and I, and I, I love, uh, and I can't think of his name now, Bill, um, who created analytics um, the mathematician, Bill James, yeah. Bill James. Yes. And I love Bill James. I've met him. I, I think what he came up with were some wonderful things, but it's gone too far. I really, because now what's happened is they've taken the human element out of baseball. Everything is analytics. I mean, I look at the pirates when they play guy goes up and gets three hits today. Tomorrow he gets four hits. The next day he's on the bench. Why? The guy is, he's on a streak. You know, Willie Stargell, I love Willie Stargell. Willie Stargell used to say that if I'm on a hitting streak, if I'm in the groove, Sandy Koufax can't get me out at all. If I'm not in the groove, I'm not on a streak, my daughter could get me out. You know, and that's, that's part of baseball. Streaks and focus, and it's a long season. I mean, you play 162 games, you're going to have those mental lapses, especially in the summertime. And 
when you take analytics, when you take that out and replace it with analytics, I think you you've done a detriment to the game and a detriment to players. And they, you know, management has gone full bore on this stuff. I hate the fact that the pirates have done it, you know, and they've taken the manager out of the game, you know, and uh, it's just horrible. I, I, I just, I hate it. I hate it, hate it, hate it. On the Baseball Lifer podcast with Bob Brill. And Bob, one of your many projects, which we're going to talk about today, is a blog called Baseball in the 1960s. Tell me how that got started and how it has pro- progressed. Well, you tell by my book, uh, A Child of the 60s, uh, that uh, that's the year I grew up in. That was my focus. And to me, the 60s, you know, a lot of people say the 50s, but that's only if you lived in New York. The 50s was the greatest baseball era if you lived in New York. But the 60s, to me, was the greatest baseball era because it started a little bit because of the Pirates winning the World Series and almost ending the Yankee domain uh, or domination, but not really. I mean, the game started to really change uh, for the better in the 60s. And 1969 was the end of baseball as we knew it, because that's when they went to divisional play. And then it would uh, also, you know, become interleague play. Um, but we expanded by half a dozen teams uh, in the 1960s. We had the Mets, the Rangers, well, not the Rangers, the Senators. Senators eventually moved, and we had a new Senators team. And we had the Astros and the Padres and the Royals all, all came in, and Seattle all came in in the 1960s. So we had a great expansion to the West and the Midwest. We had great baseball. We had two solid leagues. And we had some of the greatest players who did the greatest things. You had Koufax, Marshall, Drysdale, uh, Gibson as great pitchers. You had great hitters such as Robinson and Clemente and Mays and Aaron. Now, those guys carried over from the 50s, but they still played in the 60s. And they were dominant in the 60s. And you had great relief pitchers like Hoyt Wilhelm and um, Abernathy and Roy Face and and some of the, you know, and uh, just some great players and infielders. So you, you had a nucleus of the 60s. And I thought to myself, I want to write a blog about baseball. And I said, you know, my heart is in the 60s when it comes to the game. It really is. And so I decided, okay, let's make it about the 60s and just keep it in the 60s. And there is so much. I have written this. um, I write it every week and I've been doing that since 2017. So we're going into what will be year seven coming up very shortly. And I've had times where I recycled a, um, a column, you know, whether I didn't have time or whatever, and holidays, things like that. And uh, so what what I did was it's basically a column that talks about an event in the 60s, a game, uh, a player. It, it varies every week. And a lot of times it is about a specific game. And that game may have not had very much meaning in the overall scheme of things. But it may have been something that was really kind of definitely cool about it. Uh, maybe the the pitcher that ended uh, a streak, uh, a, a hitter streak. It was maybe 30, 40 games, something like that and how it happened. And then what I do is um, I have a trivia question every week. And 
I have people just send in their answers. And then I put them in a hat and I draw one out of the correct answers. And um, I give a $10 Starbucks uh, gift card to that person. And you can win as many times as you want. I mean, you know, uh, and it's interesting because I've had, I would say at least a half dozen um, former major league players who played in that era or even a little later who read the column. Uh, just this week, for instance, uh, Rich Nye, former Cubs pitcher, sent in his answer. I've had Al Ferrara, uh, who has read it, um, uh, Rick Reichart. Uh, these are all players that have either read or read my column. And it, it's fun. I mean, you know, I'm, to be honest with you, I don't make any money off it. I wish I did. <laughs> you know? uh, but uh, it's it's a fun column to write. Uh, and uh, it, it's just maybe it helps keep my juices flowing, too about that and sometimes you know I, I struggle to find time to do it but and I have to pull out an old column because I don't want to miss a week but it and it, it could be about trades it could be about a lot of different things so it's a fun column and if people just go to um, uh, uh, baseball in the 1960s.com and the 1960s is the numbers uh, they'll they'll get there and you know feel free to send me an email I'll put you on the um, the mailing list because I send out uh, a mailer as soon as I publish it every week. I send out a mailer to everybody who's a subscriber, and uh, they they get that right in their mailbox and they can read it. And usually, what happens is ten minutes after I send it out uh, that mailer, <laughs> I get three or four people right away answering the trivia question on the baseball lifer podcast with Bob Brill, a man of many projects, and one of them is called the baseball camp now i thought with my old school brain that it would be one of those fantasy camps where a guy would spend yay thousand dollars to come somewhere <laughs> and and play against some over the hill legends but this baseball camp is much more you know post 2000 this is a series of videos well you've given me an idea that uh, maybe that's something i should try uh, organize some players and set something up. That might be an idea. I'll think about that one if I get some time here. Yeah, this is um basically I started Bob Brill's baseball camp because I wanted I wanted to help new immigrants and their children understand the game. And it, I started it at a time when we were seeing an influx of immigrants from uh long distance countries from Syria, from Iraq, from Iran, uh the, all over the Middle East and Europe. You know, Europe always has been feeding us a lot of people, but uh we were getting people from all over the world and their children were being born and raised here and their children were playing little league. And you know, every father wants to help or mother wants to help their kid uh play the game. But if they know nothing about the game, they run into two problems. They run into conflict with the coaches if, you know, their egos are too big that they, you know, can't do that. Uh, or they just run into the fact that I don't know what the, what the kid is doing. I don't know how to help it. And so what I did with Bob Rill's baseball camp, it's an instructional place. Uh, we I taught how to catch a fly ball, how to uh, catch a ground ball. How to, how to move your legs, how to move your feet, 
what to do. And then I also uh, I I also did a uh, a couple of videos using a Stratomatic game board on the basics of baseball. Uh, hot when a batter hits a ball, what happens? Is it a single? This is a double. This is a triple. Uh, this is the infield fly rule. Uh, this is what happens, and this this is what a hit and run is. This is what a sacrifice is. And then I went down to Texas, and I got my two young grandsons, and we did a video showing, instructional video showing this, uh, using them as far as how to field, how to run the bases, uh, what the positions are, and uh, you know. Um, getting put out at first base, catching a fly ball and having a runner tag up. Uh, so we did all that. And that that's what I, I did with it. And it, it needs more. You know, I, I, I've planned more. I just haven't had uh, time to do it. A friend of mine was a catcher and I was going to have him uh, teach catching, you know, and the videos are short. They're not very long uh, and they're easy enough. And I have had responses from fathers who were the target audience. A guy from Syria uh, was one of them. A guy from um, oh somewhere in Europe, I remember a long time ago, uh, wrote me an email and said, this this was so great. I now understand the game. And I understand what why people like it. And I can help my child. And that was what the whole thing was. That was the only purpose of uh, Bob Reels Baseball Camp. And I know that can be found on YouTube, many other places you would look for Bob Brill's baseball camp if you wanted to find those videos. Sure. You just go to uh, BobBrillsBaseballCamp.com. Uh, it, it's there on a website. And uh, yeah, and um, they're on YouTube as well because they're on my YouTube channel, the Bob Brill YouTube channel. And you can find them there. You can find a lot of stuff there. I, I do a, uh, did a trivia uh, game uh, for people that like trivia. Uh, they could do every day a different trivia thing every day, and a lot of a lot of different things too. And all the the podcasts and uh, the ones I did with Eric Kramer, which uh, we're not doing anymore uh, on fantasy football, but uh, just a lot of stuff uh, you can find there on my Bob Brill YouTube channel. And the last two things we're going to talk about, one of them sort of has to do with baseball, and one doesn't, but they're both going to be discussed because I love things that are funny. I love clever wordplay. I'm a big fan of Gene Shepard, the man behind In God We Trust All Others Pay Cash and A Christmas Story. I'm a big fan of Dave Barry, Irma Bombeck, Joan Rivers. Now, you've got, first of all, a very funny, uh, lengthy podcast called Major League Stripper. I think that's hilarious. And I, I heard the beginning. And if I understand it right, somebody opened up, a kid opened up a, a pack of, of bubblegum cards. And th some of them are baseball players. And at least one of them, a young lady who's very definitely not a baseball player. <laughs> well, basically the story, it's, um, it's basically uh, an enhanced story uh, inspired by my book, um, Fan Letters to a Stripper. And um, Patty Wagon, uh, who became Patty Rudolph, Patricia Rudolph, was uh, a big-time burlesque queen in the 40s and 50s and early 60s. And in 1955, she married uh, Don Rudolph, who was a minor league pitcher at the time and became a major league pitcher uh, and uh, retired 
in 60 after the 65 season 66 and was killed in a trucking accident in 1968 out here um she went on to live to the 90s um but uh basically uh i acquired some rights and i i did the book and i always had the idea that i wanted to do a movie so i wrote a screenplay based on their lives and then just recently i optioned that and hopefully uh, they're trying to raise the money now that um, will uh, be a streamer, uh, eight, eight episode, eight hours streaming uh, uh, project, um, dramatic. Uh, so what I did in the meantime is I wanted to do a podcast because I wanted to get the thing out there. And I did two versions. We did the two and a half hour feature length version based on my script. And then we did the same thing, but in 12 episodes. So you can listen to the episodes and they're all free. Um um, but if you go to majorleaguestripper.com, you'll find out more about that and merchandise and also um, NFTs. We have some NFTs there as well. Uh, but basically, um, it's the sort of the story of their life, but a lot of Hollywood mixed in, I guess you might say. And he was he got to the majors in 1957 for a cup of coffee, uh, came up or 58, excuse me, 58, and then 59, and they went back, and he, he bounced back and forth between the minors and the majors. Finally, with the new Washington club in uh, 63, he ended up there uh, being traded from the Reds, or no, being uh, taken as a Rule 5 draft person from the Reds uh, who had acquired him from the White Sox. Uh, and he was a day or so in Cleveland in the middle there. And... um she continued to do her thing, especially when he was in the minor leagues. She was a burlesque queen. She was a stripper and uh, a very good one. And there's a little bit of video out there of her, not much, and a little bit of video of him too. Uh, again, not much. He was the opening day pitcher um, in 1963 in Washington. And of course, that was the last time that President Kennedy threw out the first ball. And he did throw that ball out. And of course, he was assassinated later in the year. So he never did that again. Uh, but Don was on the mound when that happened. And uh, it, 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 it's a really wonderful story. But going back to how I got the story, I was six years old. Make it quick. I was six years old. My mother told me that my birthday was tomorrow and Sunday. So uh, she took me up to our local shopping district in Pittsburgh, a place called Mount Oliver. And I got to go to um, Woolworths and Five and Dime and got to pick out my, my birthday present. And the first time that ever happened. And really, she just wanted to get me out of the house mm -hmm. because my sister was planning a surprise party with some of the local kids that day because that day was my birthday. It wasn't tomorrow. <laughs> and uh, so I, I got a rack pack. It was a couple of rack packs of uh, Topps baseball cards. And uh, so I opened them when I got that night because when I got home, the surprise party happened. And I'm sorting them. And I had never had baseball cards before. My uncle, my uh, cousins had them and my brother had them. So that's why I decided I would have to have some. So I'm sorting them and I'm sorting the 1959 Topps cards um, are circular. I mean, they have a player's picture in a circle and they're by color coded. I was color coding them now, and I was doing this, and I was numbering, putting them in numbered order, just playing with them, right? Oh, yeah. And I got to the Don Rudolph card, 
And then I started reading the backs. Well, each 1959 Topps card had a cartoon on the back about the player, except this one. The, car the cartoon was not about Don. It was a pic picture, uh, a drawing of a woman standing on a table, and it's Patty. You can tell by her haircut and her hairstyle. And everything. It's definitely Patty Wagon. And a ball player leaning in, looking at her. She's kicking up her leg, and the ball player's looking up her skirt. My and there's goodness. a little, yeah. And in the background, there's another scantily clad lady with another guy. And I'm looking at this, and I'm six years old, okay? And I'm thinking, this is before raging hormones, right? And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is really weird. Why is she on his baseball card? And the, the caption read, Dawn's wife is a professional dancer. Well, she wasn't just a professional dancer. She was one of the highest paid strippers in the country at the time. He was making $150 a week. She was making up to $450. And years later, uh, and I, I tried to keep track of who they were. Years later, I tried to track them down. And um, Don had, they were living, oh, about a mile away from where I was living in San Fernando, California at the time. You know, later on, we had moved there when I was like 10 or 12. And they lived like literally, you know, I could have walked to their house, if, a long walk, but I could have walked there. And they banked at the bank right across the street from where I lived. And they shopped in a lot of the places my parents shopped. So I could have run into them, probably not. Then I also found out later that Don coached the one year that I missed playing youth baseball in the league that I played in. Uh, I missed that one year, but he was he was a coach of uh, Granada Hills uh, Little League. And so all these circumstances are coming together. I mean, people we knew, friends of mine from high school were, were roofers who worked on her house and knew her very well. And the guy's mother bowled with Patty. Patty, and, Patty was a major bowling fanatic. And they bowled together. And so there's all these coincidences. And I'm thinking, I have to I have to do something. So I wrote an article at one point about them for Beckett Publications. And I interviewed Don's brothers. Patty was and Don were both dead at the time. I interviewed their daughter, uh, their only child. I interviewed both Don's brothers. And I interviewed um, uh, Sid, I can't think of his last name now. Uh, who was the vice president of Tops, and he was the one that chose the helped choose the card backs, and he said he knew Don, and he said Don was kind of an innocuous pitcher at the time. Nobody they didn't had done much, and uh, so they decided to put his wife on the back of the card wow. <laughs> because it was an interesting story, and uh, that's how that came about. Uh, so it all that to say this that. I felt that one of the things I really needed to do in life was tell this story. And uh, hopefully we'll get to tell it. I've told it many times, uh, but on film, uh, hopefully we'll get that opportunity to have the world see this wonderful love story, this wonderful baseball story, and this burlesque story about a time that no longer exists. And, uh, and a lot happened during those times. Uh, and, and I mean, it, we moved from radio uh, 
to television, to movies. Uh, there were and then gentlemen's clubs, and you know that whole era is gone. Uh, it was more innocent than it is today, as far as burlesque and things like that. You know, uh, so it's 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 a great story with a lot of facets, and I just think it's a story I really need to tell. And if you saw that on a 1959 baseball card, that had to lay, raise a lot of eyebrows. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah, mine included. <laughs> Last topic for Bob Brill on the Baseball Lifer podcast. And this one, I just cannot resist. Even though it's not baseball related, I just love it because it's about old-time radio, one of my favorite subjects. And the story is called Radio Play. It's about a half an hour listen and you told me earlier that you not only wrote it, but you are some of the characters in the story. Yes. Um, there's uh, about, I want to say, 25 characters, and uh, several of us played multiple characters. Uh, one of my best friends uh, uh, played um, several of the big name characters. Uh, I played, I think, five of them. Um, Larry Van Nuys is one of the great radio voices, uh, for, for decades, uh, along with Kim Mariner, my really good friend, uh, both played multiple voices and uh, the voices are wonderful. Uh, we, we hired well, a few actors and, but they're mostly radio people that we used and we created this half hour, uh, video, but you don't have to have the video. It's. Uh, because everything is done like an old radio show. And it's all, the video is all point of camera. Uh, there, There's nobody except one scene actually appears on camera. And that's Larry Van Eyes. And it's a scene where he thinks he's not on camera. And that's the irony of the whole thing. And the radio, the tape keeps breaking and that, you know, uh, and everything. So we keep going back and forth. But yeah, it's uh, the plot to save Hollywood. And uh, it's, I guess if I had to classify it, in my mind when I was writing it, it was Rocky and Bullwinkle. Because I love Rocky and Bullwinkle. And uh, I, I created that image in a lot of it and um, used some of those sort of scenes with Rocky and Bullwinkle uh, and some of the dialogue. And that's where the bad guy was created. And I, I think his name is uh, Gudinov, Boris Gudinov. And uh, of course, the bad guy in Rocky and Bullwinkle was Boris Badinov. And uh, so that that's where some of that comes to play. But it, you mix in elements of Philip Marlowe with the private eye and the, the news newsboy and thing, characters like that. I, I did. And I love it. I, I I played some of the I, I played the um, main character, um, and uh, then of course we uh, throughout, throughout the whole thing I I wanted to have that element because you know I I like you love old time radio and it was with sound effects especially digitally now it's so much easier to create all of that stuff and and play that theater of the mind you don't have to sit there like they did in the 30s and 40s and make a horse running 
with a couple of wooden shoes pounding on a bench. You know, you actually have sound effects of a horse running. You know, so you could do all of that, which we used not only in um, uh, radio play, but we also used it for uh, the podcast uh, Major League Stripper. We've been talking with Bob Brill on the Baseball Lifer podcast. He's written a couple of books involving baseball, Tales of My Baseball Youth and Beating the Slump. And we've been talking about the very funny productions of Major League Stripper and Radio Play. The books are on Amazon. The book, the Radio Play, and the Major League Stripper are on YouTube. And Bob Brill, it's been just a great pleasure talking with you today. Well, thank you, Don. It has been fun. Like I said, when we first started out, anytime I can talk baseball with a baseball enthusiast, I'm I'm in uh, step below heaven. Because <laughs> if I'm in, in heaven, I'm dead. So I'll, I'll, I'll stay a step below. <laughs> we'll be back in a minute with a word about upcoming episodes on the Baseball Lifer podcast, if you keep it right where it is. I'm having such a problem at work. It's the second time this month. I've got two computers down, and I can't get my computer repair company to come to the office to fix them. I think we are too busy with other bigger companies to help us. You know, I was having the same problem until we met Cortland Computer Services in Middlesex, New Jersey. They respond to most of my calls the same day, either by accessing my computers remotely or by sending a technician to my office. Wow, that would be great. It is such a disruption when our computers are not working properly. I need someone who can see what's wrong and fix it. On our first meeting, they surveyed our network for security, identified some problem areas, and set us up with security software designed to prevent malware, ransomware, and all of the other threats that are on the internet these days. They've been helping central New Jersey businesses for 30 years, and they have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. You should contact them either on the web at courtlandcomputerservices.com or by phone at 732-356-8860. 732-356-8860. PortlandComputerServices.com. Tell them you heard about them on the Baseball Lifer podcast and get a $100 coupon toward your first two hours of services. Back on the Baseball Lifer podcast, following our chat with Bob Brill, author of Tales of My Baseball Youth, among other things. If you join us next week, you'll be able to hear an interview with Zach Ford. His book is called Called Up, and it's about major league ball players talking about the first time they were called up from the minor leagues to the show. He's gathered over 100 of these pieces from different major leaguers. So you'll be able to hear about that next week on the Baseball Lifer podcast. Until then, this is Don Wardlow. Have a good week. Music